You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Welcome, 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 friend. I'm TK, your tour guide to the past, and you are listening to For the Love of History, the podcast where we talk about world history, women's history, and weird history. First of all, I am so sorry about how long it has taken me to get this episode out to you, my friend. I was hit with a bit of a self-sabotage, who do I think I am, I have no business making a podcast, uh... I should just quit right now, wave. Um, I felt like I didn't deserve to have people listen to me blabber on about stuff that I thought was cool. And I know this is this is just a history podcast, but it's my little piece of me that I put out into the world. And I always tell you to take care of yourself, and I was forgetting to take care of myself for a while, which we all do sometimes, and that's okay. So I am back, and I am telling you that it is okay to take a break. Um, it's, it's okay to just not be okay for a while. And if you're listening to this episode and that's how you feel right now, you can use this episode as a way to think about other things or to procrastinate. You have my permission and I am so glad you're here doing it with me. So dear one, onto the episode, let's talk about one of my favorite topics in the whole world. Can you guess? I, I bet you can. Do you know what it is? You're right, Japanese history. Woo! We will be hopping in our time machine and heading to Edo period Japan to learn about the queens of the red light district, Oriang. I'm pumped, I'm excited, I'm caffeinated, and that means it is time to grab your sexy little snack in your beverage or pretend that you're not actually folding laundry and let's get to it. You know how I love context. You've been here, friend. You know how we do because we do not assume anyone knows anything because that would make an ass out of you and me. I am channeling my inner boomer dad right now. Uh, Dad, if you're listening, that one's for you. But seriously, I want to make history as accessible as possible. So before we get into the Orion, let's talk about the world that created them. Our story starts in Edo, Japan, between 1603 and 1868. This was the height of the samurai. They were rich, and the war was over, so they were just doing whatever it is rich people do, like making up forms of entertainment, investing in the arts, and just generally spending a ton of money. Oh, and also meddling in the government. But TK, how can they meddle in the government? They're samurai. Yes, dear one. I know it sounds silly, but during this time, the shogun, or the military leader of Japan, had more power than the actual emperor. The emperor was just a puppet in his pretty garden palace wearing his very fancy clothes. The real money moves were made by the head of the samurai class, the shogun. The Tokugawa shogunate, where they were the dude bros who were in charge, and let me tell ya, the Tokugawas were a stoic bunch. Stoic, to say the least. You know, we're just going to skip right over their political shenanigans and go straight to how they felt about sex work. In the medieval period of Japan, Japanese Buddhist traditions, particularly among the lower classes, were super into casual sex and promiscuity. Even Japan's creation story involves two gods getting it on. 
and sexy time for men was not limited to ladies. Horizontal fun time was also considered normal among men. But the Tokugawas were way less chill about things. When Tokugawa Ieyasu united Japan, he was like, listen, guys, in order to stay united, we need to adopt Confucianism and get our shit together, put it in a bag, get it together. We need to have a super strong sense of duty to our family and society as a whole. So we can't just be sleeping around all willy-nilly like that. So no more casual encounters. No more prostitution. Keep it in your pants for the good of your family and for the country. Okay, people? Get it together. But the people, they did not like this. Especially the rich merchants and the samurai who had nothing to do with their time other than those particular things. The people were complaining and a few brothel owners were like, dude, come on. What if we like make a red light district, the only place where sex work is legal, and then you guys can tax it, get money for your government, your dictatorship. It'll be great. What do you think? And Tokugawa was like, "Mm, okay, okay, let's do it. I don't want people to hate me more than they already do. So I will give them a red light district. And in 1618, the shogun established Yoshiwara in Edo, which is old Tokyo. They also established two other places, Shimabara in Kyoto and Shinmachi in Osaka. But the most famous one and the one that we're focusing on today is Yoshiwara in Edo. Yoshiwara was part of what the people in Edo, Japan, referred to as ukiyo, or the floating world. You see, life under a military dictator can be awful. (laughs) Originally, the Buddhist term ukiyo referred to the sorrow and grief caused by desire, which was seen as something that got in the way of enlightenment. The original kanji used to make the word meant the suffering world. But Edo period people loved a good play on words and a deep meaning. So the old word ukiyo was written with new characters to mean the floating world. It was also like a double meaning because in the end, you'll see that this floating world was not all it was chalked up to be. The concept of the floating world was to ignore the problems that existed in a very strictly regulated society and to abandon yourself, bobbling along on the current of pleasure. Life was already suffering, so the world of ukiyo was a place to escape. And Yoshiwara became that place. It was meant to be a paradise, a fantasy world for men to live out their wildest dreams with women who were real, but otherworldly and perfect. So who were these women of perfection? In the three red light districts of Japan, there was a hierarchy of sex workers, and they were none higher than the oriyang. The oriyang were the centerpiece of the floating world, the pinnacles of fashion, art, brains, and culture. They were trained like geisha, and if you haven't listened to that episode yet, you should. They were trained to be an excellent companion, and not just the horizontal kind of company. They were meant to be just as educated as samurai lords' wives, 
as cultured as a member of the court, and more fashionable than any other woman in Japan. But unlike real daimyo's wives, they were meant to love their customers, or pretend to be in love with their customers. Because you see, marriage at this time was strictly contractual, and there were hardly any love matches. In fact, true love was seen as impossible between husband and wife. That idea came much later with westernization. But the but the oriang, it's hard to say, but the oriang was not a real woman. She was a fantasy. So it was okay and in fact expected of them to love and be in love with their customers. So how did one become the embodiment of perfection? Could anyone just like rock up and be like, hey, I'm here, woo, excellent question, dear one. The road to Oryang was a tough one. There were many ranks of courtesans, but the three that we're going to talk about today are the Oryang, the Shinzo, and the Kamura. To become an Oryang, you must first become a Kamura, or courtesan in training. Kamura could also be high-class courtesans who were retired, but didn't take clients anymore. But the ones that we're talking about are the young girls who were in training to be Oriang. These young girls were under the age of 15. They dressed like courtesans, but they would not receive any customers. They were simply there to learn and to attend to the Oriang who hired them. To be accepted as a Kamura did not automatically mean that you would become an Oriang. If you did well in your training and you were exceptionally beautiful, then you would move on to the position of Furisode Shinzo. These girls were official Orion candidates. They were given rigorous training and comprehensive education in culture and arts like classical literature, calligraphy, the tea ceremony, Japanese poetry, the Japanese harp, and ego, a Japanese board game that's kind of like chess. So it's really hard. They had to train and learn to be book smart as well as street smart. Cunning wit was the name of the game in Edo, Japan. And the more you could make yourself understood while saying less was like foreplay freaking gold. It ticked all the boxes for rich Edo men. And I must say, I would not excel in this arena. <laughs> ask anyone who knows me. I mean, ask yourself. You know me, friend. Your girl loves to talk, but I digress. Wit and punniness were the names of the game. One Orion was so witty and funny with her customer that another guest in attendance of the party wrote down what the two said and turned it into a freaking book. And now it's like a classic piece of literature. The final, and some say the most important thing the Orion in training learned was the art of writing a love letter. Just a chef's kiss love letter. It was kind of like a joke at the time that no one wrote more letters than high-ranking prostitutes. So after you had gone through your training, taken a few customers, and learned all you could while establishing a reputation for yourself, by the time the Shinzo was 17 or 18-ish years old, sometimes even younger, she would be eligible to become an Oriang. If you were deemed worthy, then your agea, which were the stores all of the sex workers worked for, would make you an Orion and start sending rich customers your way. 
And when I say rich friend, I mean rich, like Elon Musk, Jeffrey Bezos. Who are they? We don't know them rich. Okay, okay, maybe not that rich, but the average cost of a single night of entertainment with an Orion could cost upwards of $40,000 a night in today's money. Oh, and P.S. and by the way, if you wanted to have a single night with an Orion, you had to meet her three times before she would either agree to sleep with you or say boy bye. Yes, friend, three whole visits. During the first visit, you would have dinner and entertainment. You would have to show the Orion that you were rich enough to keep her satisfied and in the lifestyle that she had grown accustomed to. But no sexual activity and none of the entertainment was done by the Orion herself. It was all lower-ranking girls and sometimes geisha who were there for musical and dancing performances. The Orion would not speak to the client and would not look at the client, nor would she partake in any of the food or festivities. She was watching and evaluating. If you made it to the next meeting, pretty much the same thing would happen, but the Orion would sit a little bit closer to the client, facing them, but not speaking and not eating. And by the way, each visit would cost between $10,000 to $40,000, which is bananas. If the Orion was planning on accepting the client, they would then be asked to schedule a third appointment where they would be presented with a set of chopsticks and Edo-style dining set with their name on it to be used when they came. I'll put pictures up on Instagram so that you can see what they look like. The Orion and the super lucky client would then eat and chat and have fun together and then go have fun together in the Orion's private room. Fade to black. So that's it. They did it. The girl had become a successful Orion and now has a plethora of wealthy clients. Their clients would dote on them, buying them luxurious kimonos and super fancy bedding called yogi, which were blankets in the shapes of kimono, just so freaking cool. They, the Orion would display these yogi whenever the client was coming, and they would only use that yogi when that specific client was coming. And the more yogi you had as an Orion, the higher ranking you were. So basically, you could tell the success of an Orion by how many yogi she had or how nice they were. As an Orion, you would spend your days perfecting the arts, staying beautiful, writing a ton of love letters, being all witty and coy and shiz, but not all was as it seemed in the floating world. Yoshiwara was a 266 meter long, 535 meter wide floating world of pleasure and fantasy. But it will probably come as no surprise to you that the fantasy of the floating world was really for men only. It began and ended with the women that worked there. From the outside, the life of an Orion and even the Orion in training seems to be pretty all right, pretty luxurious, amazing, edu- blah, blah. <laughs> amazing education, hella rich patrons providing for you, good food and parties all the time. But this is where the gilded glamour ends. Like literally anything in the world, there are both good and terrible sides to this story. 
The qualifications for an Orion were beauty and brains. And some of the women that were there were there because their mothers were courtesans or brothel owners, and they were trained to take over the family business. But most women were sold to Yoshiwara at a very young age to either settle a debt or lessen the number of mouths a family had to feed. In the Edo period, there were a very limited number of jobs that women and girls could do. And earning a living as a mistress or a sex worker at Yoshiwara was seen as a potential option. If you were not born into the samurai class, then you were just kind of like shit out of luck. And those were your options. The tradition of using children to settle debts or help the family was rationalized by Confucian ideals that allowed the children to work out of a duty to their parents. Families usually brokered 10-year contracts with the brothel owners that their girls would have to work off. They would do daily chores at the brothels and tend to their quote-unquote sister courtesans, cleaning and delivering messages. While they were young, they learned the tricks of the trade, like we talked about, and how to speak using manipulative language and to write those love letters. Some of them would be lucky, unlucky, I don't know what you want to call it, but some of them would have the opportunity to move up in the ranking of Yoshiwara courtesans. Some of them would get to be Kamura. Some of them would get to be Shinzo. And a very select few would have the opportunity to become Orion. But the debt that they were working off would seldom get smaller. You see, as the girls got older and progressed more and more in the higher ranks, they would have to keep up with the fashion and the trends. The brothel or the agaya would spend more and more money on the sumptuous clothes and accessories, thus increasing the girls' debts. Orion had to keep up appearances. They were walking, talking, living, breathing embodiments of Instagram versus real life. On the outside, they were fashion leaders that enticed the entire country into into developing a taste for fast fashion and keeping up with the latest trends. But they were swimming in debt to do so. Yes, they could pick their clientele, but they had to be strategic and street smart. They had to pick clients that had money and also good alliances as well as good social standing. The Orion themselves had a higher social standing than most of their guests, so they had to keep up their reputation. They also had to keep their servants, the Shinzo and the Kamura, in the latest fashions and pay them for their work. This was not an unpaid thing because the Shinzo and the Kamura also had to pay off their debts to the brothel. But please do take some solace in the fact that When the women aged out at 30, they could join the brothel as an owner or a teacher to the other girls. They could buy their freedom or they could start their own business. Or she could marry one of her rich clients. Girls could leave early if their clients wished to pay their full debt and marry them. But again, this was not a fairy tale ending. A lot of the women that married rich lords or rich samurai or rich merchants had a really hard time as a housewife. They didn't know anything. They didn't know how to keep a household. Their whole existence for the past how many ever years had been weighted on hand and foot. They knew how to entertain, but they didn't know how to balance a budget. They didn't know how to organize servants. They didn't know how to do anything to keep up a household. And also, people are kind of shit. 
and their neighbors would often make up rumors about them or not speak to them because they used to be prostitutes. So their life on either side was not all rainbows and sunshine and fancy kimonos and gold. Their plight was not unknown to the people of Edo, however. They understood the Odeon's severe circumstances and often called the Yoshiwara district Kugai, which means place of universal suffering. They sometimes even referred to Odeon as saints like Fugembotsatsu, which is a Buddhist saint who represents the method, meditation, and training of spiritual enlightenment, which involves a shiznit ton of suffering. But not all brothels were a place of suffering and debt. Some were very fair and generous and genuinely cared for their girls. So we can definitely say that the lives of some Odeon and sex workers were awful, and others were not so bad. But unfortunately, we will never know how the Orion, the Shinzo, the Kamura, and any of the other sex workers actually thought and felt. We cannot definitively say that all of the girls in Yoshiwara had terrible lives, or all of the girls in Yoshiwara were taken care of, because we just don't know. And like anything in life, there's always many different sides to a story. And... What's really crappy is we will unfortunately never know what the thoughts and feelings of the Orion or any of the other women of Yoshiwara were because there's no evidence of what they thought and what they felt or what they did in their daily lives other than their training. We have hundreds of letters written by them, but all are filtered through the veil of the ukiyo, the floating world. Well, my friend, we have come to our final thought, and we are going to try to end on a positive note because I don't like leaving you feeling sad. So, I am hell-bent on going to see this final thought in person. In Tokyo, there is a festival every year that celebrates the Oriang. They have an Oriang competition and a parade and a bunch of Edo period foods and entertainment and kabuki actors and dancers and music, and it's a whole thing, and I want to go so bad because it's actually like time traveling back to the Edo period. It's the second Saturday of April every year, and so help me, I will take you with me. We will virtually go together, and it'll be great. That is all she wrote, my friend. Thank you so much for joining me in this episode today. And once again, thank you so much for your patience with how long it took me to release this episode. I am feeling the motivation. I am feeling the love from you and I'm ready to get back at it. And just another little reminder that if you're not feeling your best, it's okay. It's okay to just take a break for as long as you need to. So I'll wrap up today's episode with our usual housekeeping. If you enjoyed this episode or any other episode of For the Love of History podcast, for that matter, please consider leaving a rating or review on your favorite podcast platform. Our goal for this season is to reach 100, and we're creeping up there close to the 80s right now, and we, we're about halfway done with our season. Leaving late, <laughs> Leaving a rating or review is seriously so helpful in the world of the internet algorithm and that decides how and who to show 
people this history podcast. It really helps other history lovers find For the Love of History podcast. If you'd like to support the podcast in other ways, you can join Patreon, buy me a cup of coffee to keep me caffeinated while I research, or just send me a message letting me know what you thought about this episode. I hope that you have an absolutely beautiful day, and I hope you have the week that you need to have. And I will see you next week when we talk about deadly sexy spices. Hey friend, this is Editing TK, and uh, I'm not actually ready to say goodbye yet. I am coming at you right after um, the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And I said our next episode was going to be about deadly sexy spices, but we're not doing that. We will be talking about abortion, the history of abortion, the history of abortion laws, and we're going to fight this in the small way that we can because the small ways are the important ways. So please look forward to that episode. I also want to say to all of my people with uteruses, uteri in America that you are not alone. This is not over and we will fight this. So I will see you next week when we talk about the history of abortion and the laws surrounding it. Okay, friend, take care. Bye. Is there a metronome right now? Okay. <laughs>